0: There were bells On a hill But I never heard Them ringing No, I never heard Them at all Till there was you There were birds In the sky But I never saw winging no I never saw them at all till there was you then there was music and wonderful roses they tell me and sweet fragrant meadows have done and do
1: that piece of music you have just heard has a title. It's called Till There Was You. And it, hold on now, is the only Broadway show tune ever recorded by the Beatles. But here we pause for a spoiler alert. What you have just heard was performed by Stroll Down Penny Lane, not the Beatles. And that is just what you are in for. A stroll down Penny Lane. And this is joe anastasi your narrator for our exploration back through time in fact covering some 65 years of music where we celebrate the life and music of paul mccartney okay let's investigate this song recorded by the beatles and why it is that the title of this podcast is till there was you and many more to figure this out, we will need the services of our little time machine. We just press this button and off we go. We find ourselves in Manhattan on Broadway. Mr. Producer, talk back, Mike. TBM.
2: Uh, yes?
1: It seems that with your time machine, we have gotten ahead of ourselves a bit. The George Benson cover of the song On Broadway was recorded in 1978.
2: Fascinating. And
1: your point is? We want the year 1957, so we are in the right place, but the wrong time. I was in a rat place. That's right. Must have been the wrong time. Decades off.
2: I was in a rat place.
1: On Broadway. I the wrong line for sure.
2: I got the time machine keys and I took us to the 17th Bell bottoms and disco, yes. Right Doing my best here. I took us wrong, yep. Wrong, yep. Wrong, yep. Wrong, yep, wrong, yep.
1: Yes you did. So hit that button and get us out of here. Who gave
2: those keys to you anyway? Sorry, I uh, dropped a Veggie kebab into the Chroniton Tachyon converter. Let me see if I can fix that now.
1: Okay, this is better. Let's set the scene. Once more, we find ourselves in Manhattan on Broadway. And just above us, the neon lights of a marquee are lit up for the musical that has just opened here at the Majestic Theater. The musical is called The Music Man, and Robert Preston is the headliner. It turns out that we indeed have landed in the year 1957. But why this year and why this theater? The answer to that question is that this song, Till There Was You, was featured in this Broadway musical, The Music Man. Let's follow the money, so to speak, for just a moment.
2: My dear professore, why follow the money?
1: TBM, simple, because by following the money, we learn about the income received by the writer of a particular song. So let's follow the money with respect to this song, Till There Was You. Stay with me now. Consider the following. This Broadway play, The Music Man, ran for 1,375 performances, which is pretty impressive. And the cast album, containing this song, Till There Was You, spent 245 weeks on the Billboard charts, which is massively impressive. But dwarfing all of this is the following little tidbit, which involves the Beatles. The writer of all of the songs in this musical, Meredith Wilson, received more royalty income from the Beatles' recording of this one song Till There Was You, then from royalties that were received from the play itself that contained this very song.
2: Well, that puts things in perspective a little bit.
1: Right. So with this as our preamble, let's turn now to the Beatles and the recording of this song, Till There Was You. For this, we'll need the services of our little time machine once again. The date is January 1, New Year's Day, 1962. We are at the recording studios of Decca Records in London. Inside Studio One, we see that the Beatles are wrapping up their performance of this song for their audition this day.
0: No, I never heard it at all.
1: A week or so after this, the Beatles learned that they had failed this audition. And with this, the Beatles never did get a recording contract with Decca Records.
0: Oh, no! No!
1: Now, notwithstanding their disappointment at this event, the Beatles continued to carry on. But they didn't abandon this song till there was you. For it was an important part of their repertoire throughout 1962 and 1963. For example, they performed this song during their shows at the Star Club in Hamburg. How nice, their older audience members would say to themselves at the finish of this song. And then, on stage, just as that song finishes up, the Beatles could launch right into a hard rocker like Twist and Shout.
0: Ah, ah, ah.
1: And the younger set in the audience would explode with excitement. Now, if you are a Beatles fan, you know the story of how Brian Epstein had gotten the Beatles an audition with George Martin and with this a recording contract which resulted in the release in the UK at least of the Beatles' very first album by EMI. But in the US, Capitol Records proved to be inflexible. Capitol Records decided to pass on the Beatles. George Martin, however, pressed on and had the Beatles come into the EMI studio at Abbey Road to record several songs for a follow-on album, one that would feature the excitement generated in their live performances. But here, we address the following question. Why did Paul McCartney and the Beatles select this song, Till There Was You, to be one of the songs featured in this next album, Meet the Beatles? Why do I pose this question? Because this song, Till There Was You, was the only song from a Broadway show that was ever released by the Beatles. This oddity underpins the rest of our narrative. Let me set the table for this. There are three threads in the narrative of our story. The first thread addresses why it was that Paul McCartney chose this show tune And when we unearth the reason for this, we uncover something else altogether.
2: Which is?
1: Which is the other significant collateral benefits that accrued to Paul and the Beatles in learning and performing a song like Till There Was You. The second thread in our narrative addresses another Broadway show tune and which, it turns out, had been selected at almost the very same time by another Liverpool pop group. And when we get to the bottom of this story, we will discover, of all things, how this impacted the stadium rock scene of the 70s. There. How about that? The stadium rock scene? Yep. All right, then. Continuing. Let's start at the beginning. Our exploration of why this song, Till There Was You, had this immediate connection with Paul McCartney. Here is the backstory. Paul McCartney's older cousin, Bette Robbins, often would babysit the two McCartney boys when they were younger. And when she did, Bette would play some of her records to entertain the two young boys. One of the songs Bette would play was Till There Was You. Paul McCartney loved this song. He would sing it all the time. Paul has said that it wasn't until much later, much, much later that he learned this song was actually from the Broadway musical The Music Man. This is because our babysitter, Bette Robbins, had not introduced Paul to the Broadway version of this song. She had introduced Paul to Peggy Lee's Latin-inflected cover of this song, Till There Was You. And this was from her album, Latin a la Lee. Let's put a pin in Peggy Lee's album title, Latin a la Lee. Gotcha! That will suffice, I suppose, though, TBM, your definition of a pin seems a bit off. But anyway, here I pose this question. Why is it that we want to put a pin in this album name? The answer to this question is because this album title Latin Alali connects this song, Till There Was You, to another famous songwriter, which we will cover a little bit later in the third thread of our narrative. But let's finish up with this exploration of this first thread in our narrative today the importance of this song, Till There Was You, to the songwriting success of the Beatles.
2: Professore, Professore, you just said the Beatles. Plural, but I thought that John Lennon referred to this stuff as Paul's granny music. Please explain.
1: TBM, it is true that John dismissed this as Paul's granny music, but you will be amazed at how many of John's songs and Paul's songs employed songwriting maneuvers also used in this song, Till There Was You. The point is this. John and Paul, as teenagers, spent a lot of time learning from the songwriting masters, and as a direct consequence of this, they then became songwriting masters
2: themselves. Give me proof, I say. Give me evidence.
1: All right, I will give you some examples. First up is this. Let's examine an unusual song element in this song, Till There Was You. The item of interest is what is called a flat six chord. In this case, it is a D-flat dominant 7-9 chord, which we can just hear on the ending of the song. And to highlight this unusual chord, this flat 6 chord, we will honk our car horn when we get to it. Now, the thing is, the Beatles' deployment of this chord began to get noticed. All of a sudden, as early as 1963, musicologists were writing articles pointing out how this specific chord, a flat six chord, was being used not in one, but in several songs that had been released by the Beatles. And to these musicologists, it was the use of this flat 6 chord in these songs that provided one explanation of why the Beatles, exploding onto the scene as they had, sounded so fresh and unusual, and why their songs were so distinctive.
2: Earlier, you said John's songwriting was influenced by studying Till There Was You, Evidence, s'il vous plait? Sure.
1: Here, in my research, I discovered each of the following songs by the Beatles in this year, 1963, that used this flat 6 chord in the structuring of the song, making the song so distinctive. First up would be...
2: I Love You That's one of Paul's songs.
1: TBM, you are correct. But also, in 1963, these other two songs also used that flat 6 chord. Do you want to know a secret? And It Won't Be Long. These two songs could be called John songs. Let's demonstrate with the second of these two songs. It Won't Be Long. We'll beep this car horn thingamabob that we have here when we get to the part where this unusual flat 6 chord was used in this song by John. It's a C chord in a song that's in the key of E. (laughs) That chord, it won't belong. TBM, you are correct. The chord does not belong. That C chord does not belong in this key center of this song, the key of E. Major.
0: Every night whenever.
1: And then there was this song of Paul's, and we'll beep this car horn again. Actually, we'll blare it when we get to the part where this flat 6 chord, a conniving C chord, is inserted in this song By Paul.
2: Excuse me, how can a chord be
1: conniving?
2: Does not compute. Does not compute.
3: Does not compute.
1: TBM, I am sticking with this word conniving, and for this reason, this conniving C chord is showing up all of a sudden again in a song that is in the key... Of E. Major. In other words, the C chord doesn't belong, it is being borrowed from another key. And with this, it has the effect of causing the song to hit an emotional climax when it shows up, like just here. (laughs) Alright now, to our young songwriting friends out there, this conniving flat 6 chord has a doctor's prescription, if you will, for its use. In our example of I saw her standing there, we were in the key of E. Major. So let's stay with that key center. Let's say the song progression you have in mind is now moving to an A minor chord, which would be a minor 4 chord in this particular key. Now, this chord does not belong in the key of E major. Phew. It is what is called a borrowed chord. It contains one note, a C natural, that doesn't belong in the key of
0: E. Major. But
1: it would spice up the chord progression if it were temporarily being used. And it provides an opportunity to spice things up even more using our so-called doctor's prescription, which is this. Instead of using the A minor chord, we can substitute the conniving flat 6 chord for it. A chord that doesn't belong in this key center also, because it contains two notes, this very same C natural and a G natural note, neither of which belong in this key center we are in, the key of E major. But by doing this, we have spiced things up a ton. In short, this conniving C chord can sometimes be substituted for the A minor chord. And why can it be substituted? The answer is pretty simple. It is because the A minor chord contains two of its three notes in common with the C chord. That is the key that unlocks the mystery. Anyhow, I share this now so I won't forget it because when I finally absorbed this little tidbit after 20 years of wandering in the desert of music theory, this discovery was a revelation to me. And the revelation, that doctor's prescription, is this. A minor 4 chord in a song can sometimes be substituted with a conniving flat 6 chord. Anyhow, we're back now. No more school. But here is a little insight into what happens inside our brains when we hear how Paul and John inserted this conniving flat 6 chord into a song like What is happening to us is that Our brains receive a little shot of dopamine when this chord shows up in this song. Our brain is saying, wow, that is unusual. Our brains register a realization that the chord or sound doesn't naturally belong. But our brains tell us that this sound progression, despite being unusual, somehow temporarily works. And this surprise is pleasing. And then our brains subconsciously register that the song has then returned to a sound or chord progression that is natural to the original key center. And with this feeling of resolution, this feeling of arriving back home, our brains get a second squirt of dopamine you'll find Paul uses the same technique in this song, Hello, Goodbye. We'll honk on this conniving flat six chord when we get there.
0: I say hello, hello, hello. I don't know why you say goodbye, I say hello. Now,
1: stay with me here, for this conniving flat six chord also shows up a little later in this song of Paul's from the Abbey Road album. So let's demonstrate just where it is that this conniving flat six chord shows up in this song. It's found in the second measure of the bridge. And we'll honk our car horn when we get there, so you will know. When
0: you told me You didn't need me anymore
1: So we can see that this little conniving flat six chord tidbit has served Paul pretty well. But... There's the bell. Let's move on to some of the other lessons Paul and John may have absorbed from this song, Till There Was You. Next up is something that some musicologists call the four major to four minor miracle move. Here, we are referring to the four chord wanting to be resolved to the one chord in a kind of amen moment. Think of the last chords to Paul's song, Let It Be. We'll honk for fun when we get there. But for this four major to four minor miracle move thing, we interpose something new and just a bit different. The way we do this is as follows. Just as this movement of the four chord wanting to resolve to the one chord is happening, you know, for this amen feeling, we stop and interpose something else, a four minor chord. Here, we'll demonstrate the simple amen feeling of the four chord, resolving to the one chord, and then second, we'll do the same thing, but also use a four minor chord. Here we go. We'll honk when this four minor miracle move thing occurs. And in the bridge of the song, Till There Was You, you can hear where this so called four major to four minor miracle move occurs. And there
0: was music and wonderful roses.
1: Okay, let's see where Paul and John, for that matter, applied this little bit of learning in the songs they were writing. Oh, and one other thing, this four-major to four-minor miracle move provides an opportunity for the songwriter to take the song structure downwards in a consecutive semitone descent. In music theory, this is called voice leading. With this, the songwriter will gently lead us to the targeted tone. First up, then, will be the bridge sections of John's song If I fell, and we'll honk our car horn when we get there. So, listen for what we have described as this voice leading technique. We'll accentuate the voice leading tones. Okay, Paul's turn now to apply this tidbit that is also Until There Was You. In this next song, we are going to hear him exploit this four major to four minor miracle move gambit. Listen for the beauty of what is referred to as voice leading in this next excerpt of ours. From the verse in You Won't See Me, we'll accentuate also the voice leading tones.
0: We have lost Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. that was on.
1: Okay, before we move on to the second thread in our narrative, let's explore what is called an augmented chord to accentuate the change back to the root or the one chord of a song. The typical or tried and true method to do this would be to use the dominant or five chord to prime our brains to expect the next move will be to the one chord. Our brains are wired to predict this resolution and get a shot of dopamine as a payoff when it happens. But to spice things up, John and Paul learned they could draw attention to this payoff by interposing an augmented five-chord. In technical terms, this augmented five chord has a sharpened fifth in the chord. Here, is how it sounds. We'll demonstrate how the more typical movement of a dominant five chord resolving to a one chord sounds. Then we'll demonstrate the sound of an augmented five chord then being interposed in our example chord progression. Here it is in the song, Till There Was You. You'll hear the tractor horn when we plow this portion of the field.
0: And sweet, of and
1: nice, huh? Next, we'll demonstrate how this same augmented five chord device shows up in a very early Lennon McCartney song that is called From Me to You, which was recorded in March 1963. Again, when this augmented five chord shows up, we'll honk the tractor horn for you. I Okay, school is over now. We investigated what John and Paul might have learned from this song till there was you, a show tune that came from a Broadway musical. Now it is time for us to turn to the second thread in our narrative because there is another songwriter, Jerry Marsden of the Liverpool band Jerry and the Pacemakers, that decided similarly to cover another song from a Broadway musical. So here we have, in the year 1963, a band, Jerry and the Pacemakers, that was then the greatest competitor to the Beatles in Liverpool. And Jerry Morrison's thinking was something like this. If a Broadway show tune was working out well for Paul McCartney and the Beatles... Well then, why not do that too? So let's discover what was that Broadway show tune that Jerry Marsden had in mind. Remember now, it's 1963 in our story timeline and we need to be in Liverpool to connect these dots. So let's use the services of our little time machine. We have landed just off the River Mercy in Liverpool.
0: So ferry the Mercy cause this land's the place I love And here
2: i stay Hey, Joe, that is not a Broadway show tune.
1: Talk back, Mike. You are correct. Ferry Cross the Mercy, written by Jerry Marsden, was a top-ten hit for Jerry and the Pacemakers in 1965. So he landed in the wrong year again. I was in TBM, our time machine appears to need some calibration. We need to go back two more years to the year 1963. Can you do a fine-tuning adjustment?
2: Mm-hmm, yes, sir. Oh, yeah, that oughta do it. Let's try it again now.
1: We have landed just off the River Mercy in Liverpool. Same spot, but now, as a consequence of the fine tuning adjustment of our fearless producer, Talk Back Mike, we have landed here two years earlier. We are now in the year 1963. This idea of using a Broadway show tune had worked pretty darn well for Paul McCartney and the Beatles with their recording of Till There Was You. And so here. We come to that other Broadway show tune that Jerry Marsden thought just might work out for him and the band that he led, Jerry and the Pacemakers.
3: When you walk through a storm, hold your hand.
1: We'll be right back after this short break, so stay with us.
0: And meanwhile,
1: We're back now with the Pantheon Podcast Network, and this is Joe Anastasi of Stroll Down Penny Lane, your narrator for our exploration of the life and music of Paul McCartney we come to that other Broadway show tune that Jerry Marsden thought just might work out for him and the band that he led, Jerry and the Pacemakers.
3: When you walk through a storm Hold your hand Dark. At the end of a storm is a golden sky and the sweet silver sun.
1: pretty remarkable song. And it is a Broadway show tune. It comes from the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Carousel from the year 1945. When Jerry and the Pacemakers released their cover of this song, You'll Never Walk Alone, again in the year 1963, it did not chart in the U.S. (laughs) But back in Liverpool in 1963, where we are at the moment, something remarkable happened. This song, You'll Never Walk Alone, by Jerry and the Pacemakers, hit number one on the UK singles chart and stayed there for four weeks. Now here is where our narrative takes the first of a series of sharp left turns. It turns out that Liverpool has a professional soccer team. They call it football over there, and their stadium is called Anfield.
2: Rabbit hole. Joe, you're going down the proverbial rabbit hole again. No, TBM,
1: not a rabbit hole, just a slight left turn. We do a couple of slight left turns, and we come back to the path we were on. Anyway, Anfield is a football stadium, or a soccer stadium, I should say. It is located in Anfield, Liverpool, Merseyside, England, and it seats some 53,000 people. Anfield Stadium has been the home of Liverpool Football Club since 1892. Now, here is where we connect this stadium at Anfield to Jerry and the Pacemakers And this song, You'll Never Walk Alone. In the 1960s, before each game would start and to entertain the crowd as they waited, the disc jockey at Anfield would play a countdown of the top ten songs that were on the hit list at that time, counting down from number ten, then finishing by playing over the PA, the number one hit at the time. Then the game would start. So now we are in Liverpool in 1963, and the number one hit in the UK at that time was from the Liverpool group, Jerry and the Pacemakers, and the hit was You'll Never Walk Alone. And for four weeks straight, as the song was played over the public address system, the 53,000 Liverpool fans in attendance would sing along. And then something remarkable happened. The fifth week... After You'll Never Walk Alone dropped out of the number one spot on the charts, another song was designated to take its place to be the final song played at Anfield Stadium. And then the game was supposed to begin, as usual. Except for one thing, the Liverpool fans decided on their own that it was still time to sing You'll Never Walk Alone. And they did exactly that on that day. And they continued to do exactly that for every soccer game played in that stadium ever since that day for the next 57 years. So that was my left turn. Okay,
2: well, are you gonna stroll us back down Penny Lane now? TBM,
1: one more left turn, per favor.
2: Okay, well, notwithstanding your dangerous and frightening left turns there, Joe, my friend says the correct pronunciation is. Thank you
1: for that. So, one more slight left turn. We use the services of our little time machine to zoom forward some 30 years in time. And we have landed in Stafford, England, in the West Midlands region of England. Got my trusty little map out here. And as I figure it, we are some 30 kilometers northwest of Birmingham, as the crow flies, and some 60 kilometers southeast from Liverpool. And the date is May 29th, 1977. And we are just inside the new Bingley Hall concert venue in Stafford. It seats some 10,000, and the rock group Queen is playing. <coughs>
2: That was not a slight left turn. That was a tailspin.
1: TBM, stay with me. All will be explained in due course. So here we are at this West Midlands venue. The rock group Queen is standing on stage. It is the very end of their show, and all the members of the band are simply astonished when the crowd begins to spontaneously sing this anthem, You'll Never Walk Alone.
2: This is the left turn you want to take? Yes, this is the
1: left turn we want to take. Let me continue. All the members of the band, we are talking about the rock group Queen now, are standing there on the front of the stage, profoundly astonished by what they are witnessing. So what was happening? In an interview with the BBC in 1977, this is what the guitarist Brian May had to say about this moment at this concert, and what this audience had done with this song, You'll Never Walk
2: Alone. And we will hear what I believe is Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen, excitedly interrupt Brian May with that song title.
0: We did an encore and and went off, and instead of just keeping on clapping, they sang You'll You'll Never Walk walk Alone alone. to us, and we were completely knocked out and taken aback, and it was quite an emotional experience, really. I think these chant things are in some way connected with that kind of feeling, Mm -hmm. really. Queen's guitar player Brian May later described
1: in another interview the transformation that had been wrought by this event at this concert at this West Midlands venue in 1977 when the audience had spontaneously decided to sing this song, You'll Never Walk Alone, to them.
3: It was an acknowledgement that our audience had become
1: part of the show. Brian May also noted how the audience had been singing along with each of their songs, something that was also new for him. And with this, he and the other members of the rock band Queen realized that an opportunity was presenting itself to write some rock anthems so that their audience could participate in the show. And this is what he came up with.
2: That's one heck of a left turn. True.
1: Let me continue now.
2: Okay, but now that we've twisted through all these turns, how are we going to swerve back into our lane with the theme of Broadway show tunes, Paul McCartney, and the song, Till There Was You?
4: So easy.
1: So easy. Stay with me now. We introduced the notion of these bands, the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers, both from Liverpool and both when they were starting out learning their craft from Broadway show tunes. The song You'll Never Walk Alone fits that category. It comes from the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Carousel and the song Till There Was You came from the Broadway musical The Music Man. This is probably a good time to point out that learning these songs could influence a young songwriter, whether that be Paul McCartney or his songwriting partner John Lennon or Jerry Marsden, also from Liverpool, of Jerry and the Pacemakers. When Paul and John were learning Till There Was You, they must have studied the chord progression.
2: And your point is?
1: My point is this. If they're learning how to play Twist and Shout... The Beatles, I mean, it's a cool song, a classic, but it is in reality just a three-chord song.
2: First chord the 1, second chord the 4, third chord the 5, and we're back to the first chord the 1.
1: Or even the shout chorus call and response theme that is exemplified in Little Richard's version of Kansas City, hey hey hey. It's a three-chord song also. I love the exuberance of that song. Imagine the feeling of release you can get just by belting out
0: Hey, 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 hey!
1: At the top of your lungs, talk about excitement. Or take, for example, Little Richard's song, Long Tall Sally, which is another three-chord song.
2: They're all classic rock and roll songs. And they all have one thing in common.
1: That is correct. They only have three chords in the entire song. And if you're a songwriter like Paul McCartney or John Lennon, if those are the only kind of songs you learn, you might be very limited. And this is the key to the brilliance of the songwriting of Paul McCartney and John Lennon. They, the Beatles, tried to never repeat themselves. They always wanted to introduce something fresh into their music. But how did two teenage boys from Liverpool, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, learn their craft of songwriting? They can't read music. They've never been professionally trained.
2: Many professional musicians have never been formally or classically trained. Some of the best and most successful, certainly if we're talking about pop musicians since the 60s. Many sources state that Paul had formal lessons on piano and trumpet. I would venture Paul learned how to read music notation, if not well enough to perform as a sight reader. Our history is full of music and songs that predate or were composed without the relatively recent development of the Western system of notation. Most sources state that Paul and John learned songs mostly by ear. They could learn a song's chart or lead sheet, knew about keys, chords, and note names, and all along the way they had things shown to them by Paul's family, teachers, their community, and other musician peers.
1: You are correct. And the song, Till There Was You, gives us one answer to this question of how in the world John Lennon and Paul McCartney accomplished this transformation as songwriters. John Lennon might have referred to Paul's granny music, but Paul's granny music, like this song, Till There Was You, provided both Paul and John with an advanced degree in the craft of songwriting. And here is one way to describe this, and how different a song like Till There Was You really is by comparing it to any one of these last three songs Twist and Shout, Long Tall Sally, or Kansas City. Each of these last three songs had only three chords the one chord, the four chord, and the five chord. But contrast this to Paul's granny song, Till There Was You. By my count, I get 19 different or discrete chords in that song. So, for Paul and John to learn that song, they are learning how these very different chords can be used to A, lead into one another, B, to take left turns in the song using chord substitutions, or even C, changing the key center of a song. Each time they use the new discrete chord in one of their songs, it presented them. With an opportunity to introduce fresh new notes or tones to sing in the melody, making the song pleasing and fresh sounding to a listener. They absorb the lessons of the masters, including from Broadway shows. And if you'd like to learn a little more about how the chords in this song, Till There Was You, directly contributed to Paul's writing of his song, Michelle, you can listen in to our podcast episode four entitled Michel, Where Voodoo Meets the Devil, to get a taste of this. Similarly, let's review the song that Jerry Marsden selected. This song, You'll Never Walk Alone, also did not rely on simply three chords. By our count, this song, You'll Never Walk Alone, also has an astounding number of chords in it. We count 14 different chords. That is why the song, You'll Never Walk Alone, sounds so unique. It keeps pulling you forward. And our brains like to experience these fresh little surprises in the song. We get endorphin releases. Sometimes even a chill will run down our spine when we hear some of these songs. All right, I digressed a little bit
2: there. Uh, yeah, betcha.
1: Well, from all of this, we can see how these Broadway show tunes contributed to the forward movement of rock and roll and pop music. Now, let's see where this leads us next. We've already commented on how Paul McCartney was influenced by Peggy Lee's cover of Till There Was You, a song that was contained on her album, Latin Ala Lee. And that is our next Pivot Point.
2: Pivot Point? What pivot point?
1: TBM for our next left turn. And the left turn is this. We know now about the existence of that Peggy Lee album, Latin a la Lee. Remember, earlier we put a pin in it. But now let me introduce that there was another songwriter. In the UK, shortly after this, that was equally influenced by Paul McCartney and Peggy Lee and her album, Latin a la Lee.
2: So how do we know this?
1: Because this other songwriter, 55 years later, when he put out his 18th album, he decided to title it Latin a la G.
2: <laughs> I don't get it.
1: Latin a la G. It's a word play on Latin a la Get it? This other songwriter's album was titled Latin a G.
2: Got it. <sighs> but who is this other songwriter? Peggy Lee's album was released in 1960, and now you are talking about the year 2015. That's like 55 years later, and what does this Latin a la G, or Latin a la Lee, or Latin Q, or Peggy Lee, for that matter, have to do with the craft of songwriting? Well,
1: that is our next left turn. Let's go there. We will find an important clue tying his success as a singer songwriter to this song we first began with today.
3: Was you. So
1: we just press this button and off we go. We have landed in London, England in the year 2016. We find ourselves just inside a BBC radio station where Gilbert O'Sullivan or Ray, if you will, is being interviewed about his new album released a couple months earlier. His new album is titled Latin Alagi, which we now know is a wordplay on Latin Alali, which we know was an album released 55 years earlier by Peggy Lee, the album that contained her interpretation of Till There Was You, the song that had so impressed a very young Paul McCartney. Remember, we put a pin in it.
2: Enough already with your putting pins in things. But now, I am curious, what exactly is this connection to Peggy Lee?
1: We've arrived just at the point in this BBC radio interview when Ray is being asked a question. And in this interview, we can hear Gilbert O'Sullivan explain why it was that he had titled his 18th album The Way He Had. This is what he said. It stems from my love of Peggy Lee. Peggy Lee, we just heard him say. This is the important connection to Paul McCartney and the earlier song, Till There Was You. Let's pull on this thread and see what else we can learn from Raymond Gilbert O'Sullivan and the connection to Peggy Lee. For Gilbert O'Sullivan described things this way.
3: So if you're a young songwriter learning your craft, you listen to the great songs.
1: And Gilbert O'Sullivan described that, for him at least, the best female interpreters of the great songs, at least in his youth, had been Peggy Lee and Ella Fitzgerald. So there he was, as a young man, influenced by the Beatles, of course, but listening also to Broadway show tunes, the great songs as he styled them. And in October 1970, he broke through with his first top ten hit in the U.K.,
0: Shandy, eating more than enough apple pies. Well, I glance at my screen and see real human beings starved to death right in front of my eyes. Nothing old, nothing new, nothing ventured, nothing gained, nothing still more or lost. Nothing further than proof, nothing wilder than youth. Nothing older than type, nothing sweeter than white. Nothing physically, recklessly, hopelessly blind. Nothing I couldn't say, nothing why, cause today nothing rhymed.
1: But what is this song about? This song titled Nothing Rhymed. And what is it about these lines drinking Bonaparte Shandy and people starving to death? Right in front of my eyes.
0: When I'm drinking my Bonaparte shandy, eating more than enough apple pies, will I glance at my screen and see real human beings starved to death right in front of my eyes?
1: The backstory is this Gilbert O'Sullivan took his craft of songwriting very seriously, sitting every day for eight hours crafting a melody. And then, if he liked the melody that he had developed, that would be when he would proceed to write the words. And as he sat there every day, the lyrics that he wrote would reflect his observations about his daily existence and life. In other words, what it was that was going on around him. Today, to us, with the television and cable news and the existence of YouTube and the prevalence of social media that surrounds us, It is hard to reflect on how new it was in the 60s to have television news bring for the first time the images of people suffering elsewhere around the globe and bring it to you direct, right into your living room. And on this particular day, Gilbert O'Sullivan was stunned because the television was bringing
3: right in front of his eyes
1: the images of children in Africa the starving children of the Biafra War, malnourished and dying, images wrought by the food shortages caused by the war, resulting in the children of the land dying of starvation. And as he was sitting there, trying to write the lyrics to a song, the television was bringing into his room these desperate images, coming right into his little studio. Literally, before Gilbert O'Sullivan's very own eyes, and in that very moment. And with this, all of a sudden, his life was not making sense, and he couldn't write. And this was because nothing rhymed. And so he finally turned, inside out, the song that he was attempting to write. By this, I mean that he decided to portray the fundamental dichotomy of his daily existence as compared to what he was seeing. And to do this, he used the example of having a brandy in hand, in his words, a shandy, and as much apple pie as he desired. These two things served to describe his existence, sketched out deftly in two lines of verse. But then, to attempt to compare this to what he was seeing on the television, there were no words to reconcile these two worlds. These things simply couldn't be reconciled. Nothing rhymed.
0: Nothing old, nothing new, nothing ventured, nothing gained, nothing still born or lost. Nothing further than proof, nothing wilder than youth, nothing older than type, nothing sweeter than white, nothing physically, recklessly, hopelessly blind, nothing I couldn't say, nothing why, cause today nothing rhymed.
1: Gilbert O'Sullivan's song, Nothing Rhymed, peaked at number 114 on the charts in the United States when it was released. Notwithstanding this, pop historian Paul Gambaccini, in a later BBC documentary, described this very song as one of the great songs of all time. So here we have it. After studying the great songs... Gilbert O'Sullivan succeeded because he had finally arrived on the scene with his first hit song, being acclaimed as one of the great songs of all time. And similarly, Paul McCartney learned his craft of songwriting by studying also the great songs. So we have come around now full circle in our story. We've come back to the beginning.
2: Oh, mon frère, monsieur Joe... Yes. At the very beginning of this podcast, you said that you would answer this question, which is, why did Paul McCartney and the Beatles select this song, Till There Was You, to be one of the songs featured in their album, Meet the Beatles? Now, I've been... following along so far, and you have addressed the fact that Till There Was You has more than three chords, and that the lads learned from great songs and applied what they learned to their own tunes. All good so far. But you, you haven't answered why they recorded this song for the Meet the Beatles album.
1: That's easy. The song is a joy to sing, and if you are an aspiring vocalist like 22-year-old Paul McCartney, the song showcases your talent.
2: Your answer is so exuberant and entertaining, but a song being a joy to sing is perhaps an unlikely reason for a record company to release it on an album, especially at the beginning stages of a recording artist's career. Got it.
1: Well then, let's try this one on for size. George Martin liked their version of this song. Got a source? Per favore. Sure. Here is musicologist Mike Pacelli reporting exactly this. From his research on this topic, he reports that Brian Epstein took a Beatles demo tape containing their cover of the song Till There Was You to George Martin and, well, let's listen to Mike Pacelli.
2: Brian uh, Epstein took it to George Martin in February, a tape of that DECA session, and Till There Was You was the song that impressed George Martin the most.
1: And perhaps most of all, the lads, as you've put it, could see with their very own eyes that their audiences loved this song. And as a matter of fact, If you are of a certain age, you will remember that this song was the second of five songs performed by the Beatles during their first appearance on national television in the U.S. in February 1964 on The Ed Sullivan Show. And it went something like this. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast of Stroll Down Penny Lane. Please join us again next time as we explore further the life and music of Paul McCartney. And come see us at one of our shows if you are in the neighborhood. You'll find us at StrollDownPennyLane.com slash podcast or with your favorite podcast app. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.